Hey folks, and welcome back to this podcast. The next chapter in your book, How to Succeed in the Police Recruitment Process, even if you have no idea where to start in your preparation. So we've been through quite a lot so far, and I hope you've enjoyed the chapters where we took a look at the College of Policing Online Assessment Centre. I say enjoyed. (laughs) I hope you got a lot out of it. Uh, So now we're going to look at what comes next for most forces. Um, Remember, there's over 50 different versions of getting into the police just in England and Wales alone. Uh, Add to that Police Scotland, um, Police Service of Northern Ireland, Ports Police, and uh, there's lots of different ways. And for England and Wales and Home Office forces, the online assessment centre is something that has to happen. Uh, for other forces like Ministry of Defence, Police, um, Civil Nuclear Constabulary, Police Scotland, Police Service of Northern Ireland, Ports Police, Isle of Man Police, States of Jersey, States of Guernsey and others, they don't have to follow uh, the same sort of formulaic approach. They may just have the, an interview uh, with no online assessment centre. You may also find that some forces put their interview before the online assessment centre but they are in the minority at this moment in time so in the next uh, in this chapter i'm going to introduce you to all the different types of interview that you might expect um and it's hard to pin down really I, i can't really give you a list of what each force does because a lot of forces change what they do on such a regular basis that even i find it hard to keep up with all of those changes and i do this full time This is all I do, just focus on supporting and helping people to succeed in the police recruitment process. So I find it difficult, and I've just found out today that a force has completely changed what they do in terms of their final interview. So before you even get to that interview, you've got to do a team-building exercise and a scenario-based, what I think might be a group exercise, or it might be an individual exercise, not quite sure yet. Still need to find out more, but that's how fast things change. They might do that for a couple of months and then decide to do something else. So one of the things I advocate is that you prepare yourself for everything. And that way, if they change what they're going to do overnight you're still going to be prepared. So prepare for everything. Now, whilst the online assessment centre was something you could approach and you could be really formulaic in your approach, it's very tick box, um, the next stage isn't. Because while the assessors for the online assessment centre, they don't see you other than on video. They don't know who you are, really. They don't even know what force you're applying for. And there's nothing about your values, your motivation, what's inspired you to join, what challenges you've faced. There's none of that. They're not there to discover any of that in the online assessment centre, which is why forces add on these other parts to get to the heart of why you want to join. So all of the advice that you might see and you might read elsewhere about just naturally, just be yourself, I'm sure you'll be fine, Um, just rely on your own character, you'll shine at the interview. Mm, Yeah, I'm not sure about that advice. We need to prepare. We do need to prepare for the final interview. This is this is the last hurdle for many of you, apart from things like medical and vetting and fitness. And so you've got to get it right. And this is where it's not going to be College of Policing Assessors who are remote from the force who are going to be choosing whether you are the right person for their force. It's going to be real police officers. 
and police officers who are actually out on the streets at the moment, on the front line of policing. Forces like to use serving police officers who are out on the front line, sergeants, inspectors, chief inspectors. I even heard last week that a chief constable of the force has decided that for two mornings she is going to do some of the interviews so that's very rare that that happens but for most of the time you're going to be interviewed by someone who's of the rank of inspector might be chief inspector could be sergeant i did hear today that someone got interviewed by one chief inspector two constables and an officer from the hr team so invariably there'll be someone there from hr as well so it can appear quite daunting but when you prepare and you practice and you rehearse, you'll come across on the day as being confident and you'll be able to talk in a conversational way. And that's what they're going to be looking for. Someone who can come across in an authentic way, um, still being able to talk about the emotional impact of things. Someone who can talk about themselves in a way that is structured and full of detail. Typically, most final interviews, when it's just questions that are being asked and you're expected to answer those questions can last from anything from 45 minutes to an hour and in that time they might ask you seven or eight questions so just do the math do the math each answer that you give needs to be a good four minutes plus at the very least if you can talk for four or five minutes about the scenario that you're explaining then you're in a good position Whenever people come to me and uh, they've already gone through the process and they've failed their final interview and they want some support to pass next time, um, I'll ask them questions about how long did you have, 45 minutes to an hour, they'll say, and I'll say, I bet your interview was over in 20 to 25 minutes. And look, how did, how did you know that? Well, of course, they've not given enough detail, they've not given an, uh, enough about themselves for the assessors to be make a determination as to whether this is a sort of individual who can work alongside them. Think about it this way. You, in your final interview, you're getting the opportunity to have a discussion, to have a conversation with the sort of people that you might be working with one day. And indeed, you might be. You might be on their shift in 12 months' time. So the other question that they're going to be asking themselves, and one that's not on the marking guide, is can I see this person fitting in on my team? Because if I say yes to them today, they might well be on my team in 12 months' time. Can I see them at 3 o'clock in the morning after they've already been working for 10 or 12 hours, pulling another rabbit out of the hat and going to another difficult, challenging and complex incident? And they know that they might be working 16 or 17 hours overnight. And they're not going to complain. They're going to give 120% without being asked to do so. They're going to volunteer. They're going to be positive. They're going to show determination and resilience. They're going to make great decisions. And sometimes they're going to make, make mistakes, but they'll make those mistakes with humility. And they'll approach me and they'll talk about it and discuss it ahead of time so it doesn't fester and become a massive mistake. Is this the sort of person I can see on my team? That's the final question they're asking themselves, either on a conscious level or on an unconscious level. I know that because I've been that interviewer. I've seen people walk through the door and I've written them off within seconds of them walking through the door. And then you might be thinking, well, that's a bit unfair, isn't it? But when you've got someone coming in who hasn't shaved that day, their shirt, half their shirt's hanging out, They've not put any polish on their shoes. The trousers look like they've been dragged through a hedge backwards. They wipe their nose on their hand and then offer their hand to me to be shaken. 
I don't think so. I remember thinking of him as the snot monster because of what, what he offered me on his hand. And straight away I thought, this person doesn't care. This person hasn't got the courtesy to actually turn up looking smart. So I don't care how good the interview is. They're not getting into my constabulary. They're not joining Greater Manchester Police. And uh, fortunately, um, for my own bias, uh, their interview was a complete train wreck and uh, they did fail the interview. So first impressions do count, which is why one of the questions that's often asked at the very beginning, they will say is, it's just a warm-up question, this one. It's not being formally assessed. Don't be taken in by that one. That's a trap. I'll talk about more traps you might fall into in the next chapters, but that's one of the big traps. When they say to you, so why do you want to be a police officer? And they've already told you this question is not being marked. Oh, yes, it is. It might not be formally marked, but you're making an impression on this individual and they are going to make subjective decisions about you. Why am I saying subjective? Well, because they're human. They've got their own biases. They can't help it because they're human. All the decisions that the assessors make at this point, that the interviewers make, are going to be subjective decisions which is why someone from HR is there to try and make sure that those subjective decisions about your performance in your interview are as objective as possible. And you may be thinking, well, that's not fair, but the alternative is the online assessment centre, which is very, very objective. But that doesn't do anything to evaluate and assess your motivation and values, whereas the final interview does. So what else might the final interview have in store for you? And we're going to explore all of these things in the next chapters. So one of the first questions you might get asked is, why do you want to be a police officer? And why this force? Or you might not get asked that question. It might just go straight into competency type questions. But it's always good to know your why. And in the next chapter, we're going to start off by looking at your why. You could get asked questions about values that are important to you values that are important to police officers. You could get asked questions about the impact of being a police officer on your personal life. They could ask you questions about your knowledge of the force and your understanding of policing challenges that exist at a national level, at a force level, and locally. They'll expect you to know more about the force than they do. Uh, they could also, and they probably will ask you, competency-based questions. These are the ones that start off with, can you tell me about a time when? They could also ask you forward-facing questions. These are questions where they will say things like, so, if you were faced with a police officer who said something inappropriate, how would you deal with them? Or how will you ensure that you take into consideration diversity, equality, and inclusion issues once you're a police officer. Um, and you might be thinking, gosh, that's a bit much, isn't it? Well, there's one force that recently had that as a 10-minute presentation. You could be given scenario-based questions where they give you a fairly detailed scenario and they say, how would you deal with it? You could be given a group exercise where you're all given individual pieces of information and the only way you can solve the problem is if you all come together and share that information so you can come up with decisions about how you're going to deal with the issue that you're faced with. You could be faced with role plays. 
the role players might put you in the position of a police officer, or they might put you in the position of a security officer, or they could put you in the position of a council neighbourhood warden. I've seen all of those types of role plays run recently. I've just heard One Force has now introduced a team building exercise. I have no idea what that's going to involve, but it'd be interesting to find out. A lot of forces will ask you to do a presentation and they'll give you the topic beforehand or a choice of topics beforehand. And the trap you might fall into there is the PowerPoint trap. Don't use PowerPoint. That's my top tip. Anyway, more about that later. Um, especially for the detective, direct entry detective um, route, you could get an entry exercise and there's a way of dealing with that. Or you could also be given a briefing exercise. So there's a lot there to think about. And in the next set of chapters, I'm going to give you an introduction to how to deal with all of those types of final interview. Or like I said before, it could be called a senior interview, or it could be called the enforce interview, or it could be called an additional assessment. It could be called all sorts of different things. But I'm really looking forward to sharing my knowledge and understanding that's been developed over, over a quarter of a century of advising and supporting and guiding people just like you to deal with all of these sort of scenarios that you could be faced with. Because one thing is certain, none of them are new. All of everything I've just talked about are things that have been used for years. As far as I can remember, um, in my sergeant's board, I was given an entry. In my sergeant's board, there's a group exercise. In my sergeant's board, there's scenario-based questions and competency-type questions, as well as motivation and values-type questions. So none of these are new ideas. So there's structures that we can utilise and methods that we can learn to best prepare ourselves for any of those um, likelihoods. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, if you've got any questions, as always, just drop me a line, info at bluelightconsultancy.com, and I'll do my best to answer those questions for you. I'll see you on the other side, where we're going to take a look at motivation and values. See you soon. <laughs>